hear this word. Hear this word one more time. We've, we've repeated it Sunday after Sunday for the last several weeks. If you can speak this with me, say it with me. This is Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, right now, right here, right in the middle of whatever's going on, right now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound, so that you may overflow, so that you may radiate hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about waiting until everything is solved before you get hope. It's not talking about everything being fixed. It's not talking about every, everybody starting to like you. It's not talking about all bills being paid and then there is hope. Now in the middle of, whatever I'm in the middle of, whatever you're in the middle of, right now, current street address, current medical condition, current job situation, current marriage situation, family situation, right now, may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now this morning, we're going to be talking about hope and sons and daughters. Hope and sons and daughters. Here is a profound reality. Everybody in this room is either a son or a daughter. I mean, if there, if there is a third condition, I want to know where that might be. I just don't think it exists. We're either a son or a daughter, individually. But then as parents, you have given birth to either a son or a daughter. Here's another truth. God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. God has no stepchildren. God has no foster children. God only has sons and daughters. You say, where did you get that? Well, thank you for asking that question and bringing that up. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to as many as received him, to as many as received Jesus, to these he gave the right to become children of God. By receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, you become a child of God, either a son or a daughter. No grandchildren. In other words, <laughs> we don't get a relationship with the Heavenly Father by way of our mother's relationship with our Heavenly Father or our, 
our grandfathers, grandmothers, great aunts, best friend. There is no third party in the relationship with the Heavenly Father. There are no grandchildren. The good news is, the thrill about that is, God wants a relationship with you. He loves your mother. He loves whoever has pointed you in the direction of the Lord. But he doesn't love them better than he loves you. He doesn't care more about them than he cares about you. He cares about you. He loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And that is that happens not by joining a particular church or going and getting baptized in the Jordan River in Israel. It happens by receiving Jesus Christ into your heart. It's great that that happened for your mama or for your grandmother or for an uncle or somebody else, but until it happens to you, until you receive Jesus Christ into your your heart, the reality of whether or not you're a child of God or just a creation of God, the reality is very clear. All people are created by God. The only ones who are children of God, according to the word, according to John 1, 12, are those who have received Jesus into their hearts as Savior and Lord. Now, with with that being a premise, I want to to encourage you to think with me this morning. I mean, if you have your copy of, of the Word of God, your copy of the Bible, that you can turn to some of these places... I want you to do that. Uh, if you don't have it, then you can look up here on the screen. That, that's kind of a cheater. I, I just, you know how I am. I'd rather you have your own copy of the Bible so that if you don't have six figures or seven figures to leave your children when you go to glory, you'll have a Bible and they can read the underlined parts of your Bible and they can find out how to meet you up there. A worn out Bible, a daddy or a mama's worn out Bible is the best gift that I believe can never be left for the children. So let that be one of several things you leave them, but that, that's, that's the big one. Don't be, don't, don't be letting them put the Bible in the casket with you. Don't, don't be letting them do that. They need, they need the Bible. Right, that was free. We won't go any farther with that. But what, here's, I'm going to give you a few things here just straight from the Word that have to do with hope for sons and daughters. Now, as we start through thinking through this, I want you to keep yourself in mind. You are a son or you are a daughter of the Lord, I trust. But I want you to pull up the faces of your biological sons and daughters. Some of you have them right here with, it, with you. They're either in the nursery or they're sitting in the room somewhere. Or, or maybe they're not even here. They're, they're grown up. They live in another place. They've got their own family. But there is a reason, a multitude of reasons actually, as to why you're connected with them biologically. And there may have been some places where, where they broke your heart, just like you broke and I broke the heart of my Heavenly Father with some of my actions, choices, and staying with stuff for a long time. But just because I may have offended his heart or broken his heart, it doesn't mean that he's stopped loving me or you've stopped loving them. Hope for sons and daughters. 
So we're going to be thinking in some different directions, and one will be as it relates to you, other will be as it relates to those that you're a biological offspring. Here's, here is a, here's an amazing verse. It's out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, and verse 4. Here's what it says. Just as he, God, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the earth. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth. Here's what that's saying. You were known, you were seen, you were touched, you were real in the heart of God the Heavenly Father before there was ever a planet called Earth, before there was ever a city called San Antonio, before your mother or your father ever existed, you were known in the heart of your heavenly father. Not just known, but you were chosen. You were not the booby prize. You were not the loser's trophy. You were picked out. You were chosen because you were wanted. There was something desirable about you, though you had never drawn a breath yet, though you had never put on a shoe, though you had never occupied any kind of profession. God saw you, knew you, chose you because he wanted you before there was ever a planet Earth. You are no stranger to your heavenly Father. You are not a surprise. You are a choice. You are a choice. You are a choice. You say, well, now that may apply to some really good people. That may apply to maybe the Virgin Mary or the Apostle Paul or Abraham or Moses maybe, but hey, do you realize who you're talking to and what you're talking about? My life has been anything but picture perfect. In fact, I've made a goal in my life, it seems like, out of just messing stuff up. I got a lifelong trail of mess-ups and hurt people and broken relationships and lost opportunities. You trying to tell me that God wanted me? That God chose, that God saw something desirable about me? That is exactly what I'm trying to say to you because that is exactly what this book says about you. You say, well, you got any proof of that, preacher? Thank you for answering that, asking that question as well. Yes, there's proof. Before you ever came to know through a relationship with Jesus that you were a son, you would be a son or a daughter of God, God knew that that hour would come. God knew that that day would come. Here is another verse, and I want you to turn to this other passage with me. This is in Luke chapter 19, the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. 
It is a verse where Jesus speaks, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was what? Do you remember? Lost. Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, 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 get this. Listen to, hear this. You, you can't lose something unless you had it in the first place. If, if you didn't know that you've lost something, then it means you never had it. But if you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, you were born, you came into this life, but got to live in, in some ways and making some choices that are anything but godly, anything but godlike, anything but good, then it is possible for you to be lost from where you were before you ever came into this life. Now, folks, Jesus says, and this will blow your hat in the creek. Now, this will make the socks roll up inside your boots if, you get, if this drops 18 inches. The Son of Man, a description of himself, the Son of Man has come to this earth to seek and to save, to rescue, to look for until he finds, and then to rescue that which was lost. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, if you've hung around here for very long, you know that, that we mentioned that quite a bit. You pick out the sorriest reputation, the lowest of the low moral reputation. You pick out the worst of the worst professions. You put those two together and you come up with the tax collectors in Jesus's day. To make it relevant, pick out what you would consider to be the sleaziest, slimiest, sorriest profession possible on the earth today and or the most despicable profession, way to make money on the face of the earth. And you take that name or names and you scratch out tax collector and you put that name or those names in this verse. There was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, a traitor to his people. The Romans would say, here's the X amount that we want from you, but you can charge whatever above that you can get from the people. You pay us this, you keep the rest. That's why they were considered traitors. They were considered liars. They were considered thieves. They were considered immoral of the highest degree. They were the worst of the worst of the worst, despised by everybody except their own kind. And Jesus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Verse 2, 3. Zacchaeus 
was trying to see who Jesus was because he'd heard about Jesus evidently and was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. He was a short fellow. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus for he was about to pass through that way. Now, you look at verse 5. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For today, I must stay at your house. How did he know Zacchaeus' name? Had Zacchaeus' mother sent him a note? My boy's going to be up in a tree and he's a mess. Help him, Jesus. Were some of the ones that had been fleeced by Zacchaeus' thievery, were they the ones saying, yeah, Jesus, let's get you down this tree and he's going to be up there. He needs it. We don't have any record whatsoever that there was any prior prompting, nobody slipping him a note. He just knew who the man was whose name was Zacchaeus. He knew everything he had done. He knew his reputation. And still he said, as he called him by name, hurry up and get yourself down here. I'm going to your house for supper. He hurried, verse 6, and came down and received him, received Jesus gladly. When they saw it, and they're always a bunch of theys, when they saw it, they all began to grumble saying, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now you can put that in all capital letters, bold it to about size 25 font, that's how he was, he's gone. he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. And the line probably started right there. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because he too, he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you get the context? Do, do, you, do, you, do you get the impact of that? Zacchaeus didn't have a clue that God had known him from time, eternity in the past. Zacchaeus didn't have any clue that he was picked out, that he was chosen, that God had a plan for his life. Jesus knew. So all the wrappings, all the sorry reputation, all of the sins, all the mistakes, all the junk was not 
powerful enough to stop the Son of Man from seeking and saving that which was lost. You talk about hope for sons and daughters. Sons and daughters who don't even know their sons and daughters yet. They hadn't seen the light. They just think it is what it is. The Son of Man has come to seek, look for, not just launch a casual search and walk through a room when it ain't in here, hadn't looked in a drawer, hadn't pulled open a, a shelf, hadn't, hadn't looked around behind anything, just kind of, well, it's not here. This word for seek means to look for methodically, persistently, without end, until that which has been lost is found. It's come to seek and to rescue Rescue from everything that had enslaved that object, everything that had caused that object, object to be lost mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially, economically, every way he's come to seek and to save that which was. Folks, here's the point you can't lose something you never had. I know I'm hollering, I need to calm down here a minute. I just can't help it. You can't lose something that you never had. You find something that's lost if you once held it in the heart of God. I don't care who you are. I don't care what kind of mess your sons or your daughters or whoever you know has been in. There is no junk. There is no power of darkness. There is no long-lasting residue of defeat in the past of your life that has the power to forfeit who you are to God in Christ when you open your heart up to him. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, any woman be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away and all things become new. This, this wasn't written to people who had always been in church all their lives. This wasn't written to people who had never taken God's name in vain. This wasn't written to people who had never done a sleazy business deal. This was written to people, regardless of their level in life, regardless of what they've done or where they've been, whom Jesus knows what you look like right now is not who you really are. You're marked by this and chained by that and shackled by this other. But who you really are is who you are in the heart of your father. And he's known you before there was dirt. And he's loved you and picked you out and wanted you from before there were even any people living. Before your mother, your father, your descendants ever were here. In his heart, he chose you. In eternity past. In his heart, he's wanted you. In his heart, he's been loving you. 
And then the time comes when out of the blue, maybe, like with Zacchaeus, somebody with the heart of Jesus, somebody with the love of Jesus, says a word, gives a look, makes a gesture, offers an invitation, but somehow that that other part of you that you didn't even know was alive, you didn't even know it was there, but it's the heart part of you that belonged to God before you were ever born. It, something awakens, and you're drawn. You're drawn to Jesus. You're drawn to Jesus. You're drawn to Jesus. And I gotta tell you, the church can get in the way of Jesus. The way people do church and folks in church and all that kind of stuff can be a great impediment to really coming to know Jesus the Savior. Jesus is not the church. The church is made up of people. It's destined to disappoint. It doesn't, it's not God. It can't be everywhere. It can't be all healing. It can't be all wise. It can't be all loving because it's made up of people. But Jesus, Jesus has no limit to his ability to forgive. Has no limit in his ability to drop something that was sin and wrong in the past, but not hold it over your head as you step toward the future. There has to be a very clear and powerful delineation between the person of Jesus and the people of the church. It doesn't always have to be that way. But that's why the statistics are astounding. In our culture today, as to how many millions or vacating organized religion, vacating organized, it doesn't matter if it's evangelical or Catholic, checking out on the church, but when they're pressed, but I really am interested in Jesus. I really would like to know more about him. I, I, I really would like to see something that exists that is authentic to what he represents. And I'm going to tell you, Alamo City can be just as imperfect as any of the organized gathering of believers. And we'll, we'll say all the time, don't, don't you be coming looking to him for us to heal you. Don't you be coming looking for us to fix your marriage or fix your kids. We can, we can offer some help and we can promise to pray, but the healer is not the church. The healer is the person of Jesus. And he's able. And he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. I gotta read you one more. <laughs> Acts chapter nine, Acts chapter nine. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now Saul, verse one, chapter nine, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any 
belonging to the way, a code name for followers of Jesus, belonging to the way, both men and women. He might bring them bound, snatch them out of their homes, snatch them away from their jobs, all in the name of religion, all in the name of protecting the purity of Judaism by putting to death any ongoing reputation that this Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. Saul was convinced Jesus was a heretic. He was convinced that he was doing God's work by the cruelty he was showing to men and women in imprisoning them, but all getting the attaboys from the religious system, the high priests, and so forth. Verse 3, as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you were persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Verse 10. Now, there was a disciple, a follower of Jesus at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, saying, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Saul didn't know. The Christians in Jerusalem didn't know. The Christians who were going to be pulled out of their homes if Saul had had his way and taken Jerusalem and thrown in jail, they didn't know that he was a chosen instrument of God. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, don't blow this off, folks. I'm telling you, somebody's just checking out on me, whether they're not talking about me. Yes, it is if you'll open your... Open your ears. You say this nicely. If you check out on this, it's your fault that you don't receive the hope that is in this verse. 
This wasn't written just about church going, never cussing, never stealing, never messed up anything, people. It was written to people who are so lost, they smell lost. They don't know any language, any church language. They just know lost language. But here's the truth. You can't get lost if you've never been found. The truth about you is that you were known by God and loved by God, wanted by Him, chosen by Him, set in motion a plan for you to be adopted into the family. That's who you really are and not this other stuff. You, you, You see this? Zacchaeus had this realm in which he was known. But nobody, including Zacchaeus, really knew him. Saul had this very impressive realm in which he was known for his abilities, for his skills, for his personality, for his background. But not even those closest to him in his professional pursuit and not even Saul himself really knew who he was. Until that day that Jesus walked under Zacchaeus' tree, called him by name, I'm going to your house. Saul didn't know until that day when the resurrected Jesus shone from heaven this light and a voice spoke to him. Do you get it? He called Zacchaeus by name. He called Saul by name. And my dear friend, he has the ability to call you by name. Because you're no stranger. You don't, he doesn't need your social security card to figure out who you are. He doesn't need a picture ID. He knew what you looked like before your mother ever burped you on her shoulder. He knew you. He knows you. He loves you. His plan for you is beyond any plan that we could come up with on ourselves, for us on ourselves. And, and, the, and the thing is, it takes into account all the blunders. It takes into account all the tragedies that we've caused, all the errors that we've caused, even the things that we've done like Paul did, trying to do right that we've looked down and was stupid. What was I thinking? Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth. All right. So here's, we got, I got to quit. I could go for about four hours. Don't, don't anybody say amen. Just say, don't do it, pastor. Don't do it. Don't do it. But it's, it's, just, it's just so rich. It's not making stuff up. It's just straight the scripture talking. Look, look, look at this, bro. This is, this is Philippians 1.6. Paul is not able to be there. It's like parents being separated from their children. They reach an age. They grow up and get their own houses. They have their own families. They live in another city. Where our, our time of being able to be physically present and encourage them and influence them is over in those days. Paul was locked up in prisons. The, the Philippians, uh, the, the letter to the Philippians is a prison epistle. He didn't know whether he'd ever get out or not. He wasn't there physically. They had to just read this. He had to send, a, send this to him. Here's what he said. 
being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. My confidence is not in me being able to get there and teach you and disciple you and fill in all your fill in the blank stuff. My confidence, I didn't start that in you. I was an encourager, I was a vessel, I, I, I helped some, but the one who started it was the one who picked you out before you were born, before you were ever born in Philippi. You had from eternity past been known in the heart of God. He started it. Opened your heart to faith to be able to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. But the one here, and the word is being confident. It's bold, bodacious. I'm bodacious about this. I'm not timid about it. It's rock solid in my heart that the one who began the work in you, he will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It is not about the believer grunting and groaning and straining and striving and pushing and trying to make stuff happen and trying to copy some super Christian and trying to not be like some super devil. Lord, if there's going to be any change in me that sticks, it's going to have to be you. So I'm still counting on you to keep seeking me and to keep on saving me. I went to bed last night and thought I was doing pretty good. Woke up this morning and I got a bunch of stuff that's still haunting me that I need to be rescued from. Son of man has come to seek and to rescue that which was lost. And what he started, he's going to finish. What he started, He's going to finish. Okay, then. so we've got these, these two channels, trains of thought. One is you. One is you. The other one is your biological offspring. What God started in them, God will finish in them. Some say Saul, who became Paul, was perhaps in his 40s before he ever got on the straight track. Zacchaeus, we don't know how old he was. But these weren't vacation Bible school kids. These weren't youth group kids. These weren't YWAM 20-something kids. These were grown professional adults in the midstream of their lives at the apex of their professional journey. God doesn't have to wait until we're broken and shattered and smothered in grief. <laughs> Saul just never had met anybody any powerful, more powerful than himself until Jesus revealed himself to him on that day. Who are you, Lord? He didn't even know, he didn't know who he was. And instead of Jesus being insulted, well, Saul, you should have known me. You don't hear that from Jesus. 
You don't hear him getting into Zacchaeus' house and just, just going through the Ten Commandments and just ripping him to shreds over all the broken laws. You don't hear it. You hear Jesus fussing at the religious police, the super spiritual that are judging everybody and putting everybody down. You hear him scalding them. But you hear him with love and rescue and mercy in his heart saying to the lost sheep of Israel, here's the way home. You've been missed and you've been missing out. Why don't you come home? Why don't you come home? Why don't you come home? I feel like I'm looking out at a bunch of wonderful faces. And for you to be able to come week after week and put up with all this hollering and spitting and sweating and all that kind of stuff and, and may saying things that they would run me out of town in a lot of churches without if I ever got up and started saying that. But I believe it's true. I, I just, I believe it's true. Zacchaeus was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, even though he at that current point in time was, was giving himself to a morally despicable profession and a morally despicable lifestyle. Saul, at the time he was engaged by the one who came to seek and to save the lost, was, 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 was all about zeal and all about scripture and all about doing what's right as he boxed God in and figured out what God would like and what God wouldn't like. And in the process, he was just missing God in the flesh altogether. Instead of Jesus being insulted, his heart to rescue his heart to bring them out of the, the blindness and into the light of who you really are. This other stuff's killing you. This other stuff is sapping your life. This other stuff is destroying you. And him, his life, and the life was the light of man. If there's anybody in this room today that's just saying, I want that light, I want that life, I want that Jesus, I need him, I want him, then I, I just want to encourage you, before you walk out those back doors and go get in your car and turn another page, come this way. Come this way. There'll be some folks who we call them prayer partners. And partners in prayer, not, not counselors in, in, in how to straighten your life out or, or try to get into all your business, but, but ones who, who can partner with you in the place of faith, in the place of prayer, because they've been there. They know what it is to know lost and to know found and to know the love of God and the mercy of God flowing through their heart. So when we... Stand in a minute and we give you that opportunity. Do you understand this? God has no grandchildren. He has children because he wants the relationship with you. It does not matter as far as you are concerned how godly or saintly or religious any of your family line may have been. That's fine for them. But he wants a relationship with you. And maybe after you've heard some of this, this is straight from the Bible. 
You're realizing that he's not looking for a relationship with nothing but perfect people. He's not wanting before you can have a relationship with him, you got to get all your act together. No, Zacchaeus hadn't gotten anything together. Saul hadn't repented of nothing at the point that Jesus met him. It was because he met Jesus that these changes happened. It was not in order to meet Jesus. It was because he met Jesus that the things that needed to fix and fall off started happening. Same way with Zacchaeus. I mean, I think read that. He starts saying, I'm going to give up way half of what I got. I'm going to, you know, everybody fraud four times as much. Did those words, had those words ever come out of his mouth until he met Jesus? Was that a prerequisite? Lord said, I'll meet with you now, but you need to settle all your accounts with all these folks you stole them from. No. Jesus walked up under his tree. Zacchaeus, I'm going to eat supper at your house tonight. Get out of here. Not one scalding word of rebuke. Just a call. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. He honored him. And Zacchaeus responded. If that's you, if that's you, anywhere in there, and you long for that, then make your way, please, to the front. Just let us, just let us pray. You're not, we're not going to ask you for a check. You're not going to be joining a church. We're not going to get you sopping wet. Walk out of here with all your hair in place. All that. But, but, the, but, but the point is, it, it's, he's inside now, not the outside talking to you, but you've opened your heart, Jesus. I invite you to come into my heart. Don't know that I've ever done that. But I need you on the inside, Lord. I want to know your love on the inside.